Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China this time. And I have a special guest on our podcast today. Um, his name is Joel Veldkamp uh, from uh, Christian Solidarity International. Joel, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, perfect. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. We um, we were we read a couple of articles uh, where your organization came up. We feel that what has been taking place in Azerbaijan um, has been a conflict that has been mainly silent uh, on the world stage, uh, and it's understandable. I mean, there's been so many conflicts around the world with Ukraine and now with Israel. Um, we've seen some major um, players like China and the U.S. moving into that Israeli conflict area. And so uh, what's happening in Azerbaijan with the Christians there has kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. And so I'm, I'm super happy you were able to come on and, and share with us a little bit about the situation there. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And of course, we've noticed that Azerbaijan tends to attack uh, the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh when the world is distracted, whether that's with the 2020 U.S. presidential election or uh, the war in Ukraine or whatever else is going on. They tend to choose the, their moments well. So it is important that we try to shine a light on this. Yeah. Um, could you, for our audience, just uh, give a, a brief introduction who you are and what you do? Sure. So I work for Christian Solidarity International. I'm their head of international communications. Uh, we are an NGO that uh, helps persecuted Christians and other persecuted peoples around the world, both with humanitarian aid and with advocacy. So we build relationships with persecuted Christians in countries across the world and then try to use what we learn from them to advocate for them in the public sphere in the United States, in Europe, and in other places. Um, so we've had a relationship with uh, the Armenians of this region, Nagorno-Karabakh, for over 30 years. Um, and so we've been trying to get the word out about the ethnic cleansing and genocide that they've been facing. Um, I'm from the United States. Uh, CSI is headquartered in Switzerland. Um, and yeah, I think that's probably the important facts about me <laughs> yeah thanks uh i mean i i have never been to this area of azerbaijan i've kind of been around it a little bit i've i've been to armenia i've been to georgia i've been to iran uh just across the border from from azerbaijan uh but i i've never actually been to this area of nagorno-karabakh um most of our listeners i'm assuming not maybe not all of them but the majority of them will have no clue uh, where this area is and why it's important for Christians to, to know about it. Can you give a, a brief introduction to this area and, and why there is this conflict taking place? Um, sure. It is a long, complicated story, but I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, that's why we're bringing somebody on, because this is something I think that needs to be unpackaged a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the line I always start with, um, just to kind of set the stage for the longer explanation, is... 
one of the world's oldest Christian communities has just been destroyed by one of the world's most brutal dictatorships. That's what happened in September in, in one sentence. Um, so the Armenian people were the first nation to convert to Christianity as a nation in the year 301 AD, probably around then. Um, and yes, ever since then, Christianity has just been a deeply ingrained part of their, of their national identity, of their culture. Um, probably upwards of 90% of Armenians would call themselves Christians, right? It's just, it's a very Christianized uh, society. Um, but they've suffered a lot in their history, um, both, you know, just as a result of the different wars that have passed through their region, but also as a result of their faith. And one of the worst things that happened to them was 100 years ago, what we call the Armenian Genocide. Um, when the last Muslim empire, the Ottoman Empire, tried to exterminate the entire Armenian population of what's today Turkey, essentially. Um, and when that genocide was over, a million people were dead, hundreds of thousands had been enslaved, hundreds of thousands had been forcibly converted to Islam, and the only part of the Armenian homeland that survived was this slender strip of land in the Caucasus Mountains wedged in between Iran, Russia, and Turkey. Um, and that became the Republic of Armenia uh, in 1918. But two years later, the Soviet Union invaded the region and conquered it, and they took one part of Armenia's land called Nagorno-Karabakh and put it inside the Republic of Azerbaijan, which at the time was also part of the Soviet Union. Um, kind of a classic Stalinist divide and conquer routine, right? You, you create problems uh, for the peoples that you're governing over so that you can play them against each other and preserve your own rule. Um, how am I doing so far, Eugene? Yeah, I know this is, this is great. This is great information. Some of it's very new to me as well. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit familiar. You pointed out, for instance, this is one of the oldest Christian cultures um, in the world. Um, for those that are listening to our podcast, I mean, even when you're in Iran, if somebody identifies themselves as a Christian, people will say, oh, you're Armenian because Armenians are just known for being Christians. Uh, we get the word genocide from Armenia because the Christians were, were, were slaughtered by the Turks. Um, in the in the Islam uh, that one, the Muslims that wanted to kill the Christians. One of the things that I found very interesting being in Armenia is if you look at the back of their money, there they have this uh, hundred thousand dollar bill, and on the back of that is a scene where it's supposed to depict when the nation came to to Christ uh, initially when the gospel was first brought there, and, uh, and so they depict this this picture that took place long before they became a Christian nation. There was a kingdom there and the king was sick. And the story is that he sent a letter to Jesus uh, because he wanted somebody to come and heal him because he was, he was terminal. And it was uh, Thomas and um, Jude, the, the, the brother of Jesus that came through this region and they brought the burial clothes that he was buried in to uh, the king of this region. And that story is depicted on the back of their money. So what you're saying is not just something that is, that is shared among Christians, but is historically kind of revered even on the currency that they have. So this little enclave that you're talking about, that was traditional Christian, they've, about 2,000 years, there's been Christianity in these, 
in these mountains. So yeah, I think that is just really good that you've, you've pointed that out. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for sharing that story. I'll have to pay more attention the next time I'm in Armenia and look at my money. <laughs> yeah, never it's, that yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Nagorno-Karabakh, um, I know that name is kind of impossible to pronounce, but there's not much we can do about it. I might just call it Karabakh for short. Um, but one of the oldest Christian regions in the world, and the Soviets put it inside Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan is a Muslim Turkish nation um, very closely aligned to Turkey in its, in its ideology and its politics. So when the Soviet Union started to break apart in the late 80s, the people of Nagorno-Karabakh decided to try to claim their own freedom, try to claim their own independence. And they rose up and said, we want to be part of Armenia again, or we want to be our own country, one of the two, but we don't want to live under Azerbaijani rule anymore. You know, under Azerbaijani rule, all the churches in the region were closed, all the priests were exiled, I mean, Christianity was almost completely snuffed out. It continued to live in the hearts of the people, but it was not allowed to be practiced truly really anywhere in the whole region. Um, so as the Soviet Union starts to break apart, there's this movement for freedom in Nagorno-Karabakh, and Azerbaijan responds with an ethnic cleansing campaign. They come in, uh, they blockade the region, they start deporting people from their villages, and they lay siege to the capital city and start bombing it um, from the neighboring hills. Um, so from the Armenian point of view, and from our point of view as well, this is kind of a continuation of the Armenian genocide, right? The Armenian genocide stopped when Russia conquered the area, and when Russia withdrew in the late 80s and early 90s, it started again. Um, but this time the Armenians fought back and they had the new Republic of Armenia, which had also just become independent on their side. And by some miracle, they actually won. Um, and so since 1994, Nagorno-Karabakh was free. It was independent. It was its own republic. It wasn't recognized as a republic by any other country in the world. So you won't find it on Google Maps, for example. Um, but the reality was it was its own functioning state. I was able to travel there in 2017 as a tourist. Um, and I, yeah, it, it was a beautiful place, a, a very peaceful place. Um, and yeah. So what what can to, you, what can you tell us about the Christian okay. culture there? Was it, was it like the, the kind of Armenian Orthodox? Was it, was it conservative? Was it, was it charismatic? Were the, were the, were the people very traditional? Uh, how would we in the, in the West, uh, see their practice of Christianity? I think for us in the West, it would take a lot of homework to understand their practice of Christianity. Um, the Orthodox Church is dominant in Nagorno-Karabakh and in Armenia. Um, and the Orthodox Church professes the Apostles' Creed, so they are part of what we would call Orthodox Christianity, small o, right? The, the broad stream of Christians who have always affirmed the Trinity, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his divine and human nature. Um, but yeah, their traditions, their songs, their kind of outfits are, are very strange looking to us, to Western eyes. Um, so yeah, the Orthodox Church would be dominant, but there was a growing and actually thriving evangelical church movement in Nagorno-Karabakh before this latest war. Um, and I have, I have friends in, in Armenia who actually planted a few churches in Nagorno-Karabakh and they told us that um, they were doing quite well. <laughs> so there was this space for different versions of Christianity 
um, all kind of united by this common heritage of, you know, uh, the light of the gospel has been shining here for 1,700 years, and we want it to, to continue. Yeah, I mean, th yeah. this goes back into their history. For anybody that's been to uh, Jerusalem, for instance, uh, you'll, you'll notice that it's kind of, Jerusalem is kind of broken up into four different sections. And Armenian Christianity is so important, so prominent, that one of those quarters uh, in Jerusalem is called the Armenian Quarter. Uh, where you have the Greek Orthodox practice of the Armenians that have been in Jerusalem, practicing in Jerusalem, praising God in Jerusalem, establishing churches in Jerusalem, you know, for well over a thousand some odd years. So, I mean, this is uh, for for any listener that may not really um, uh, have ever heard about the Armenian Christians or whatever. They've played a big part in the history of, of Christianity. So even though their practices might seem to be a little bit foreign to us, almost a little bit Catholic in, in some ways. Um, they are very much like, like Joel said, um, Orthodox. They still believe in the, in the same Jesus that we do with the virgin birth and the supernatural resurrection, uh, the miracles, the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, same literature, same Bible. And in fact, uh, many of them read from the original language of the, uh, of the, Old uh, the New Testament. So uh, this is this is really great to hear from you that that that's actually been there, seen some of their their practices, and, and then sharing that that with us. Um, why is it? Do you think that uh, Azerbaijan has been so aggressive? Do you think it's territorial? Do you think it's religious? Do you think it's it's something else? I think it's kind of all of those things, <laughs> which I know is not a satisfying answer, um, but. If I can take us back to the origins of the Armenian genocide, um, the Armenians lived in the Islamic Empire for centuries and centuries and centuries, and for the most part they lived peacefully. But the condition under which they were allowed to live peacefully in the Islamic Empire is that they had to be subordinate, right? Um, they couldn't be above Muslims politically or socially, so an Armenian could not testify in court against a Muslim if that might lead to the Muslim being physically punished. Um, Armenians had to pay more taxes than Muslims did. Armenians were generally not allowed to serve in the military or in the state. And that doesn't mean they couldn't, you know, uh, become quite rich and powerful in their own way, but there was a clear demarcation between the Muslims above and Christians below. What happened in the late 19th century and early 20th century is that that system started to break down and it looked like the Armenians might be able to achieve some sort of equality. And rather than allow that to happen, the, the Turkish Islamic Empire decided to exterminate them all. Um, so the genocide was kind of a reaction to the possibility that Armenians might become free. Um, and that is kind of the same dynamic that's still at work uh, today. Um, the, you know, the Republic of Azerbaijan was founded after World War I, uh, when the Russian Empire withdrew from the region, and all of a sudden you had all these Armenians there who wanted to have their own country, and the Muslims there were like, well, wait a second, we're supposed to be on top, right? That, those are the rules. You can't just come in here and make your own state. Um, so they fought, and, and that same fight is still kind of continuing today. Um, every time the Azerbaijanis fought the Armenians, they lost until the year 2020. Um, so you kind of have a nation 
I mean, Azerbaijan is a beautiful nation. It's loved by God. Its people are loved by God. It has a wonderful culture and history of its own. I'm not trying to say otherwise. But politically speaking, Azerbaijan was kind of created in a moment of humiliation, <laughs> of being humiliated by people that they used to be on top of. And that has never really gone away. Um, so when we see the, the extreme violence that Azerbaijan deploys against the Armenians, you know, beheadings and things that are even worse than that that I won't describe because it's just too horrible. There's this kind of national rage at these people who used to be underneath us and have somehow dared to try to be their own country. That's, I think, the best explanation. Uh, what role has Russia, if any, play in this? Because, you know, when I'm traveling to Georgia, for instance, there's obviously this this uh, freedom from Russia kind of feeling. But once I cross the border from Georgia into Armenia, I definitely feel like I'm in the old state of Russia. There feels like all this Russian residual uh, influence. Um, what, what, what's the role of Russia in this with uh, the Armenian suffering at the hands of the Azerbaijanians? So, the, the long historical view is that Russia has always been the protector of the Armenians against the Turks and against the Azerbaijanis, like going back to the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, Armenians would flee to escape the Turks and go to Russian territory to be safe, or when Russians would come, you know, Armenians would rejoice because it was their moment of, of liberation. That's a very long story. Um, after the Soviet Union broke apart and Armenia and Azerbaijan both became independent states again, Russia maintained very close ties with both governments. So for a long time, Russia was the biggest source of weapons for both governments. And that was Russia's way of kind of maintaining its influence in the region, that Armenia had to have Russia there to protect them against Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan also needed Russia to remain a strong state. Um, but from the Armenian perspective, Russia was kind of the, the bulwark against the Armenian genocide starting again. Um, so that's why you kind of had this ambiguous position of Russia in, in Armenia after independence, whereas Georgia, Russia was always the enemy, right? Russia was always the country that was coming to conquer them and take away their independence. Armenia was a little bit different. Um, what happened, unfortunately, is in 2020, Azerbaijan attacked Nagorno-Karabakh and tried to destroy its Christian population. And Russia didn't really react. Russia just let the attack happen for 44 days. And thousands of people were killed. 50,000 people fled their homes. Um, Nagorno-Karabakh lost something like two thirds of its territory. And then at the very last minute, when it looked like Azerbaijan was really going to conquer the whole area and drive everyone out, and destroy Nagorno-Karabakh forever, Russia steps in and says, stop. We're not gonna do this, you're gonna stop. We're gonna bring in our own peacekeepers, the war ends now. Um, so that was Russia kind of signaling to Armenia, hey, you need us, <laughs> um, but also signaling to Azerbaijan, you can work with us, you know, you can get things from us if you are helpful to us. Um, and unfortunately, after that comes the war in Ukraine. <laughs> And as a result, Russia becomes much weaker and it needs Azerbaijan much more. It needs Azerbaijan for oil, it needs Azerbaijan for trade, and it needs Azerbaijan not to become a fully-fledged ally 
of the United States. And it seems that the price that Azerbaijan demanded for this was Nagorno-Karabakh. So last month in September, Azerbaijan launched a final war against Nagorno-Karabakh and the Russian peacekeepers did nothing. They didn't react, they didn't help, they just kind of stood down. Um, and Azerbaijan ethnically cleansed the entire region. So there are no Christians left in Nagorno-Karabakh. For the first time in 1,700 years, there are no Christian prayers being offered, the churches are closed, nothing is happening. So uh, the, those that have fled, where have they gone? What, what, what's happened to them? What's the situation with them now? They've gone into Armenia. So Armenia is a country with maybe two and a half, three million people. And overnight, their population increased by 100,000, by like 4%. Um, and Armenia is not a rich country by any means. <laughs> so it's a, an extremely serious refugee crisis right now. Um, we have people yeah, in various states of precarity, people sleeping in, in kindergartens and churches. Um, in cars, uh, I'm, I'm afraid a lot of people are dying without us really knowing about it from preventable medical problems or from exposure, from hunger. Um, what came before this, this attack in September was a, a nine month long blockade of Nagorno-Karabakh by Azerbaijan. And during that blockade, like by the end of it, there was literally no bread. You know, there's literally nothing to eat. Um, and people were, were dying of hunger. Women were losing their babies. Um, pregnant women were miscarrying at extremely high rates. Um, so it was already a, a true humanitarian crisis, really a genocidal attack. Um, and then it turned into a war and full-fledged ethnic cleansing. So it's extremely grave, yeah. What, what, is, what has happened to some of the old traditional like churches and uh, religious sites there? In Karabakh. Some of them have been destroyed. Um, some of them have been have had 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 their, had their crosses removed. Um, there's one confirmed video that we have in a town called Charaktar of Azerbaijani troops firing on a 13th century monastery um, with with tanks. Um, and this is probably just the beginning. You know, like Azerbaijan is not eager to to do it all at once, I think. They want to kind of maintain the fiction with the international community that they're a responsible actor. But we've seen before what they will do. Um, there's a region of Azerbaijan called Nahichevan that was inhabited by Armenians for thousands and thousands of years before the wars of the early 20th century. And in between 1997 and 2005, the government of Azerbaijan systematically destroyed every church every Christian monument, every gravestone in the entire region. Just a complete cultural genocide, a complete cultural erasure. Um, so that's what we're basically expecting to happen in Karabakh now. I, I Forgive me for being cynical, but when I read this and I see the absence of basically any sort of information, any sort of outrage, uh, any sort of um, uh, international news coverage, um, I can't help but to be a little bit cynical and ask myself, if this, if, if the people of Karabakh had been any other religion, 
Islam, for instance, if these, these had been Muslims attacked by Christians and run out of their homeland, would this would there be such a, a vacuum of information? Would there be a black space of silence? Um, uh, would our ignorance be as, as high as it is now? Or would this not be wall-to-wall coverage? I know it's just an opinion, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think... For sure, the, the lack of coverage is not an accident. Um, the, the the U.S. government more or less wanted this to happen, I would say. Um, the, a big priority for the U.S. government for a long time has been to bring this region that used to be in Russia's traditional sphere of influence into their sphere of influence. So their dream is to have you know, Turkey, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Armenia all together on their side. And in their mind, the biggest obstacle to that happening was Nagorno-Karabakh, was this continued point of contention between Armenia and Azerbaijan that was preventing normalization of relations. Um, so I think, well, actually, it's quite clear, you know, the U.S. government first pressured uh, the government of Armenia to abandon Nagorno-Karabakh, and then they allowed Nagorno-Karabakh to be overrun by Azerbaijan, hoping that this will result in Azerbaijan becoming a firm U.S. ally and normalizing relations with Armenia. Um, I think this is kind of crazy talk. I think Azerbaijan is not going to stop here. I think they'll probably continue because they claim actually all of the Republic of Armenia as their historical homeland in this crazy ideology that they've cooked up. And that is so key. That's absolutely key what you've just shared because there's this little corridor um, that we've actually used quite a bit uh, in southern Armenia that leads down into the border of Iran. And on each side of that corridor is Azerbaijan. And I'm reminded a little bit of Israel. Um, where, you know, when I'm going from uh, one part of Israel to another part of Israel and I have to pass through Palestinian territory or I go from one Palestinian area to another Palestinian area and have to pass through Israeli territory, those checkpoints, those 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 breaking up of geographical areas. Um, I, I, and when I hear the, the news go on and on and on about occupied territory and how there's all this outrage over indigenous people uh, being removed from their homeland uh, by occupiers or uh, sometimes they are given the term colonialists. Um, that doesn't in any way impact the, the conversation for a place like Korobach, where you have a people group that have literally been there for over a thousand some odd years. They were there before Muhammad was ever thought of. And now they are being removed from their forcefully um, in, in a very genocide manner, as, if you, as you've said, and zero, not a peep, which in many ways, I just, I feel that uh, removes the the um, kind of the the outrage that so many people have when they're talking about indigenous people, occupied territory, homeland, um, because this is a this is a prime example how it's not even a part of the conversation. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so when when uh, looking at the the the, the people the hundred thousand plus that have become refugees from this area, just um, out of um, out of 
our desire to pray for the people and to to pray for those that have been removed from their homes, pray for the Christians that have been persecuted. Um, can I ask what what Christian Solidarity International is doing um, in this situation? Yeah, we're working with our partners in Armenia to deliver like um, aid of first instance, I guess you can call it. So what people need immediately now that they've left everything behind, come into Armenia without any of their possessions, really. So they need clothing, they need medicine, they need safe places to stay, they need food. Um, those are the sorts of things that we're providing uh, to, to refugees. I mean, we're a small organization, we're not helping all 100,000 refugees, but we are um, doing what we can at this moment. And then before Azerbaijan's attack into September, CSI supported a rehabilitation center in Nagorno-Karabakh that would provide really world-class care to children with disabilities or people who were wounded in the different wars over the past few decades. And that there's these people, the staff and their patients have all now been relocated to Armenia. Um, so we're exploring with them what we can do now, you know, there's talk of maybe setting up a new rehabilitation center, but in the meantime, we want to continue to um, support this community of patients and rehabilitation workers um, in a new context. So that's our special concern as, as CSI. And if people want to donate uh, to the work that you guys are doing, be a part of the effort in helping these uh, refugees that have been displaced, what is the best way? Where where can they go to learn more about you, what you're doing, and donate to this cause? Um, I would say go to www.csi-int.org. That's our international website. So wherever you are in the world, you can go there, you can go to the donate page, and then you can find um, the CSI affiliate that makes the most sense for you to donate to, whether that's in the US or in France or Germany or uh, wherever you are. Um, and we'd be, we're so humbled and grateful whenever people support our work in this way. And uh, yeah, we're committed to doing everything we can to help the Armenian people and you know, people in Nigeria, Syria, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, India, uh, CSI works in 14 different countries to help persecuted Christians. Awesome. So if you're listening to this podcast, you want to learn more, I would highly encourage you to go onto the website, see how you can be a part, see how you can uh, donate, partner together with Christian Solidarity International. Uh, as Joel just said, their website is www.csi hyphen int so csi international if you can just remember that csi international csi hyphen int dot org joel thank you so much for joining us it's been a real privilege having you on the podcast thank you eugene it's been a blessing and thank you for downloading this back to jerusalem podcast again i'm eugene bach your host for this time coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of china god bless